0: Well, welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro, and Hats on Lamps. How's it going, Hats? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's episode sixty. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we 61, are done, just... right? Sorry, sixty-one. Oh, you're right. I didn't change the uh,
1: thing. I didn't change yeah. the thing.
0: Well, we'll see if this becomes a blooper or if I just leave it in like last time.
1: Only if I can come up with something clever to say right now, and it's not looking good.
0: So it's episode sixty-one for those of you who are tuning in for the first time. This is how we do it every time. We are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we're going to talk about the new draft changes. Is are that we? True? No. That's not no. true. I didn't change
1: that either. I only changed. Oh, I was some so things.
0: impressed. I was like,
1: "Sorry, I, I changed some things, but not your opening statement."
0: Oh, uh, that's all right. That's all right. No, nope. we're not going to talk about the new draft changes. It seems like we could talk about the new draft changes because there are, in fact, going to be new draft changes next week. But well,
1: we don't know what our, they're going well, to be.
0: In uh, incredible marketing acumen, has not told us what these changes will be until the very last moment. So we are unable to get people excited about these changes beforehand by recording a podcast about them.
1: No, we have no power here.
0: So what's going to happen is Monday, the draft change. The we're going to have this weird hybrid format that we have now every time a new set releases, where they. They inject about uh, 50 to 80 new cards into the format. This lasts a week. Fortunately, we record on Thursdays and release usually Sunday, Monday. So we're going to record an episode after the changes happen, but release it more or less after the changes end.
1: Yeah. So uh, we'll have a real interesting, in depth discussion. About a format that will have ceased to exist. Yeah, exactly. So
0: um, I'm really looking forward to that next week.
1: Yeah, I, me too. I, 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 you know. <laughs> We're all just frittering away our time here anyway. Let's let's discuss formats that, in a way that's not helpful to anyone, <laughs> and enjoy it. Every, enjoy every minute we'll be talking about new cards that we will be seeing for a while after that though so hopefully we'll be able to you know hopefully it'll be relevant in some I way know. some small way hopefully we'll learn what decay is oh i hope not i hope that <laughs> i hope that there's no tooltip for it or anything we just put it into play and nothing happens <laughs> And then midway through the draft format, the format they'll just turn on decay, and all of the cards that we've been using will do something completely different. That would maybe be this line. will
0: be your maybe it's like your dream mechanic,
1: and decay actually just plays decay. So. Yeah, that seems fun. Yeah, ever it's just it's just attachment removal stapled to many other cards. <laughs> Down with attachments. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We've been dealing with the scourge of attachments for too long now. So how was your draft week? Uh, My draft week was pretty good, actually. Whatever uh, problem I was having uh, drafting and playing with the new sort of flipped around format seems to have resolved itself because I'm back where... Sort of back where I'm used to being win-lose ratio speaking. Um, So I I still feel the same way about the format that I did uh, last time when I was complaining about certain aspects, like removal, not being strong enough to deal with the threats, and therefore the format feels a little bit unbalanced and a little bit solitary. But um, uh, I mean solitary as in solitaire like not like not like uh loneliness or something like that just like uh, both players develop their game plan and you can't do much to stop the other person's game plan uh it still feels a bit like that to me however uh i figured out how to draft a more effective game plan so i'm i'm back uh, winning as much as i as i hope to be so that's good um so i don't I, but i'm still very much looking forward to there just being new cards to play with because i'm 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 good with the format, I've I feel like I've explored as much as I ever wanted to. I've drafted every archetype that I was curious about, and uh, I'm uh, I'm ready to move on to greener pastures. So, uh, looking forward to, to new cards. How was your draft week?
0: My draft week was pretty good too. I um I mentioned this last episode where I I got a seven zero. I followed mm-hmm. that up with another seven zero deck. And then yeah. and then I had one bad draft with a what I thought was a good deck, but it was like an immediate one actually I don't know if it was a good deck. It was my the first time drafting Ricano for me in this format. And it was just like a bunch of units, a bunch of will breakers and those kind of units, and then a bunch of combat tricks. And the thing that I hate about Rakano just kept happening to me, where I would draw the wrong half of the deck. I'd either draw all units and no combat tricks, or all combat tricks and no units. Yeah. And my one win was like really glorious. Um, <laughs> I had the what is it, Soulfire Drake, Soulfire Dragon, the five two,
1: flying oh, the, charge. What the like the legendary? Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I had that in the deck. So oh. one game I was able, I played um, the 3 1 Reckless guy. The then, Burning
1: Core
0: Drake. Yeah, Burning Core Drake. Then I gave it double jam- damage and Soul Fire Dragon in my hand double damage. Mm-hmm. So I hit for six. Then the next turn I hit for 16 and won the game. And that felt really great. And then the rest of my games felt very pitiful. Mm -hmm. so that's
1: that's pretty similar to my experiences with recano actually i've had a couple of recano decks since the format change and uh i had one that was really good basically unbeatable and then uh unless i unless i drew really badly and the other ones looked like they should be good but they they still kind of struggled so i feel like um and i think it came down to unit Quality like the individual units aren't just aren't strong enough and even even with good combat tricks like i would get outpaced by the higher quality units that i was facing if somebody was playing time or shadow and then i would i would just sort of like peter out uh and uh and i think that's it probably because there there's not as many units like um What's it called? The the four one that exhausts a unit when it comes into play. Uh, the the bar Gaudy shaman. Gaudy sho- There's not very many. Yeah. There's not. There's not a lot of stuff like granite acolyte and gaudy Showman. They're in the format, but they're not boosted. And those were the kind of things that really made uh, you know those aggressive strategies a little more powerful because you would keep pushing damage and provide another body on the board. Whereas with the combat tricks, like you might be able to trade. A combat trick for an opposing blocker, but then your opponent just plays another blocker, and you still have this stupid two-one that you put down on turn two. So yeah. that was the problem that I tended to have. Um, so I ended up having to draft for Kano a little bit differently. So it wasn't like flat-out aggro, but more of a mid-range thing where I had higher unit quality. That was that uh, I was a little bit more successful that way. Yeah, uh, and
0: I feel like that's just hard because you know we've talked about this a bunch, but Justice. Is like really hit or miss on the unit, mm-hmm. <laughs> the unit yeah. quality. So like, if you're going into Rakano, you can just like very well end up with not a lot of good units.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's exactly the problem.
0: And it it made me. It, this is I also talked about this last week having success with Stone Scar, but the fact that Stonescar gets that two one quick draw weapon, just like. I would rather have that any day of the week than a ton of combat tricks, I feel like.
1: Yeah, I think it's a little bit stronger. Plus you get uh some redundancy with the with the one one that grants quick draw to your units, you know mm-hmm. you know. Um so you can get quick draw and you can kind of draft around that because if you can consistently give things like, you know, Inferno Zealot quick draw, then you're in a much better position than if you're just trying to like, you know, give it plus three plus three. Yeah. For a turn or something. It's a little stronger. So I had a pretty good week. I had a, a
0: bunch of fun decks that I really enjoyed. On to thanking our patrons here. So, um, as always, we like to thank our patrons for helping support this show. We do have a Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com farmingeternal. And for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to our show notes and recording bloopers. And you also nudge us towards our Patreon goal. And as always, we like to thank Stephen R., Mercurial Blue, Abednego, Meagles, Madness, Titus and Blossom, Parmelee, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Cassendrith, Jed the Homerid, Raven Dragon, Esrit 0215, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yistout for helping support the show and making it possible.
1: Yes, thank you. Thank you to all of our patrons. I really appreciate you.
0: Yeah. And then um, this week, I want to give a shout-out to Commander Salamander. Um, we played in a game, and it was a really close game. I think I must have won it, because I'm having positive feelings towards Commander Salamander. But I don't I don't totally remember. Um, but afterwards, we friended, and he said a bunch of positive things about the show, and Said thank you for doing the show because it's, uh, you know, the fact just having any content for Eternal just, like, makes uh, people want to play Eternal more. And so just wanted to say thank you, Commander Salamander, for friending me and saying thank you. I really appreciated it. It's always fun to, like, talk with people who actually listen to the show because it's still kind of shocking to me that anyone does.
1: Uh, <laughs> My takeaway from this is that if you're uh, if if you playing Eternal and you match against Patamaru, uh and win, he will hate you. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, I... <laughs> So if you want to stay in his good graces, throw a few games, that's all I'm saying.
0: Beating me, not beating me is okay. Friending me is great. I mean, that's actually why I started giving my username because for those of you who've been listening to a long time, I used to just say hosted by me, Patrick, and Barefoot Farmer at the time. Yeah. But then Barefoot Farmer would always talk about how many people would, like, friend them in-game and say hello and that they listen to the podcast. And no one ever did it to me. So I was right. like, well, I better start saying my username in the intro. And still no one ever did it to me. <laughs> so, so Commander Salamander did.
1: yeah. So- What an exceptional listener.
0: Yeah, he's an exceptional listener, I'm sure an exceptional person, and we appreciate you. And that's why you're the listener
1: of the week this week. Card (laughs) of the week, though. Yeah, card of the week. And do you have an exceptional card this week? Uh, I I chose as my card of the week, Covetous Stranger. Uh, Covetous Stranger uh, costs 2 Fire, and it is a 2-1 Stranger unit. And it says, when one or more strangers attack, their owner creates and draws a treasure trove. Uh, and I wanted to talk about it because I've had interesting experiences. And it kind of kind of relates back to our discussion about Rakano. Um, I've had very positive experiences with this card when I play it in, in slower decks. Like the kind of creation decks that have big relic weapons and like a, a really powerful end game Where I'm like making Edge of Prophecy and bringing it back and that kind of thing. Um, And I've had a lot less success with it in aggressive decks where I want to be attacking and killing my opponent as quickly as possible. And it looks like an aggressive card. And so this is counterintuitive like to me how I feel about it now because uh, it looks like, well, you attack and then you get a Treasure Trove. And a Treasure Trove, by the way, is a two power spell that draws a card, that's all it does. So it looks like you should attack with Covetous Stranger and then once you don't have any more tempo to put on the board, like more, uh, more ways to fill out the board with bodies that can do damage, uh, then you draw more cards and then put more pressure on the board. Whereas what seems to happen to me is that Covetous Stranger gets blocked by the first two three that somebody puts down, uh, maybe can trade in for a treasure trove Uh, And then the time that I spent playing a 2-1 that ultimately didn't do all that much damage uh, puts me so behind on tempo that even though I end up drawing cards to replace it, uh, that I'm unable to win the game. So it has been much better when I use the Treasure Troves to draw more consistently into my powerful cards in my slow deck than it has as an aggressive card to get damage in early and then replace itself with draws later. And I just think that's interesting because my initial, like, sort of what I thought of the card was that it would be, be better in aggressive decks and it turned out, at least in my experience, that I was wrong.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's been my experience too. It's it's funny. I also feel like I don't know if my evaluation of it changed or whether it really just like changed with the changing of the formats, but as I've grown to like this card a little bit more as the format has evolved. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe that's because I, like, learned to draft these, like, slower decks. But at first, when I... Like, when I first looked at the card, I just thought, well, this is never attacking, so you're never getting a treasure trove. And I kind of avoided playing these. But now, you know... Because you can have success with these, like, slower fire decks, especially in creation with the weapons, and, like, these destruction sacrifice decks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you end up, like you said, being able to use these in these slower decks, and it kind of raised in my estimation of, like, how good of a card it was.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... it's. Um... Yeah, that's how I feel about it too. I was really down on the card at first because it just didn't seem like, um, well, I mean, I've already I've already said it. it just didn't seem like it would it was it was worth the effort of of putting it on the board and then using another power to draw the card that would replace it and all of that. But if you're talking about a deck that um, has some very very powerful cards and some less powerful cards, then anything you can do to dig through your deck for the more powerful cards is great. And covenant mm-hmm. stranger does, does is is perfectly good at that, especially if you get multiples and you can get two treasure troves with one attack. Yeah. So what's uh, what's your card of the week this week? Yeah. Oh
0: I was, <laughs> well, the last. Do you have I more thoughts on say. covenant stranger? Yeah. Yeah, it's the problem with just like a lot of these low toughness strangers is just your opponent so often gets that first initial thing that. You know, the the first trigger if they have a stranger. That's sure. what always made these strangers weird for me a little bit. You know, this one and then the shadow stranger, especially, is your opponent usually gets the first trigger off of it and you really can't do anything to stop it because they have low toughness.
1: Right. Yeah, and if your then... opponent if your opponent on their turn two plays the one-three stranger and then you follow up with your two-one stranger. Then they get to attack with the 1-3. You can't block. And they draw a card and get a battle skill. And then they play a 3-drop, which completely negates your Covetous Stranger. And you feel like you're playing for your opponent at that point.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Is uh, That was actually one of the things I... This is kind of getting into our sunset show. I guess we didn't even say what the topic, what our actual topic was, which was saying goodbye to set 8 since Uh the new set is coming out we can put it in the title yeah we'll put it in the title and in card of the week it's in the title and card of the week
1: yeah and we'll remind Uh, you later too when we start talking about it you'll be you'll be up to date
0: yeah but the fact that like these strangers i felt like put too much emphasis on play draw was a
1: big negative for me yeah yeah, I think that's fair. Since three of them are two drops, uh, that's the those are the ones that you encounter the most often, and and the and the person who plays their two drops stranger first has such a huge advantage.
0: Yeah, except for Mag Stranger, that was the weird thing with the time one, like the Magnificent Stranger, because so many of the three drops were also two threes in this format. Sure, you weren't as punished. For being on the draw.
1: Right. Which is one of the reasons why it's the best one by far. It's just it's stat line.
0: Yeah exactly. It's
1: particularly bad. With the. uh, With the shadow one. The 3-1 that makes a 1-1. When it attacks. Because if. Even if you are. Like if your opponent has a stranger out. And then you play your 3-1. Um. And then they get to attack and create their own one-one. That's what's going to be blocking your three-one. You know, yeah. like it—it it provides the ammunition to kill itself. It's the worst.
0: <laughs> I agree. Yeah, that is that one. I could just never get over high, how high variance of a card that was. Because, like, even in the decks that it seemed like it fit perfectly, like these destruction decks, and you have a lot of you want a lot of sacrifice fodder. You were just so likely to be punished for it and not be able to really play it that right. it yeah it always felt bad to me. Obviously, yeah. people other people played it, so people tried to make it work and must have had at least
1: some success for it. But I've seen I, it in those sort of decks that can give it quick draw, and then it's quite a bit better, you know, because it is a three one. Once you put yeah. quick draw on it, then it may may get to actually you know do its thing. Uh, Outside of that, though, I haven't seen it succeed. Yeah.
0: Yeah, as for my card of the week, we kind of talked a bunch about all of these sort of cute combos last week, in last week's episode. And someone this week played a touch of battle and then played a boot knife with Deadly. Okay. And I thought... Oh, that's kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It
1: is kind of cute.
0: And it was pretty good, I mean, in that situation, but I just was wondering like is that is does that make boot knife playable? like well let's
1: you... let's let's describe the card real fast because I don't think it's a card that most people see and play that often. I've never seen anyone play it, I don't think, oh well, maybe like months ago in the last format uh boot knife is a one shadow one one relic weapon uh and it has uh, the ability onslaught you have quick draw this turn so if you've already attacked with something that turn then it has quick draw uh so if it had deadly then it would kill something anything and not and you wouldn't take any damage the person playing the boot knife you would just kill a thing for free and then you would still have the weapon so you could kill something again next turn if they if you weren't able to kill it uh by attacking face right so yes that's that's probably that must be what happened to you is they killed two of your units
0: well they killed one of my units and then I was able to do something fancy and attack back when they weren't okay. expecting it and then
1: kill their one toughness boot knife I don't know I mean obviously that's a pretty cool combo but I don't know if that justifies the slot that boot knife boot knife takes up in your deck. Um, like it's um, like it's better. So it's better to touch a battle, a boot knife than basically any other weapon, which is kind of interesting, right? Cause the other weapons would still kill anything, but wouldn't survive after that. Yeah. Um, boot knife is just about the only weapon except for the really huge ones where you can attack something and, uh, and uh, with, uh, so it's a better combo with with boot, like touch of battle is a better combo with boot knife than it is with any other relic weapon. So it's interesting that way. It's just what else do you have in that deck where boot knife is is good enough to take up a of a slot in your deck, unless you have like a bunch of touch of battles and a bunch of boot knives, and then that's just the deck that you're playing, or 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 other things to combo with touch of battle. Like you've got like say two or three copies of touch of battle, and Maybe you didn't get all the reverberating strikes you wanted to go with it, and so you're like, "But oh wait, boot knife is boot knife works okay with it." Also, yeah, boot, boot knife's not the it, boot knife's pretty fun to say, and I I like that we were talking about it.
0: The thing that's crazy <laughs> to me is that this seems even more improbable with the fact that they had switched the draft pack. You know, they switched the pack orders. Now you don't have to like draft a boot knife and. Hope
1: you get a touch of battle. Yeah, I guess so. You could. I mean, there are other things that go with boot knife. There's like the uncommon that gives your relic weapon plus four plus two. So that's uh, three power, right? Because that's a two power spell. So you yeah. would have a five three with quick draw on the turn that you play it. That's two cards, but you would you could kill something pretty big with it, and then kill another thing. Um, so. And a boot knife does kill things with one toughness. It kills an inferno zealot without taking any damage. So there's yes. uses for it. I, I guess you could like you know you could end up with one because you, there just wasn't anything else in the pack, and you were already playing shadow. And then you're like, hey, touch of battle. I see a plan coming together. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. I I guess I didn't really have a ton to say about this, except that someone did it to me, and I thought. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of i thought cute. you
1: wanted to have a really long conversation about boot knife so that's what that's what I did
0: <laughs> yeah no no i I think this is all because it's <laughs> it was surprising to me yep,
1: it is. honestly the most
0: surprising too. thing is how little touch of battle really ended up influencing the format even though there were so many good combo you know like even though ruinous burst was in the format and I just expected to be hit with touch of battle ruinous burst so many times in this format Mm -hmm. and it just felt like it never really happened.
1: Yeah, it didn't happen much to me either. And uh, I'm not really sure why. I picked up Touch of Battles pretty high for the whole format, and then I never ended up in decks myself that could really use them effectively. Not never. There were times that I did. I I, I may have even Touch of Battle Ruinous Bursted someone at some point, but because um, uh, I think it's I think it's usually a fine card on its own uh, because you end just because you end up with like two drops and three drops that aren't necessarily relevant for the entire game yeah and there you you so have you so often had to like you know deal with a seven, seven or an eight eight on your opponent's side that you didn't have real removal for and touch of battle was one way of dealing with that problem. So I still kind of valued the card maybe a little higher than some folks, but i d- I very rarely was able to actually combine it with spells the way we thought was gonna it was gonna be. Not that people didn't, you know there were people that sometimes managed to get the touch of battle reverberating strike deck online and running um but uh not me, and I very rarely had it done to me, so it didn't feel like it worked the format, which is good yeah. because if that had been a thing that was easy to do, who boy, <laughs> what an unpleasant format that would be, yeah, no, I agree,
0: yeah, so I think, yeah, touch of battle ended up being in an okay place. Um, it, that was definitely an example of one of the cards that always seemed way better for my opponents than it did for me.
1: Yeah, I think the process that a lot of the sort of experienced drafters underwent with touch of battle was that they really pushed hard to try to get touch of battle reverberating strike going in their decks. Um, and then, and then it may have been successful to some degree, but over time, the unreliability, of it as a combo and the picks that they were wasting trying to make that happen would weaken their deck So they stopped trying to do it so hard. I, mm-hmm. I feel like that must be what happened because I encountered it a lot at the beginning of the format And not so much later, which means that people were trying very hard to make it happen um, And then just like learning where the power was in the format in general and, and not pushing so hard I think I just said the same thing twice. Uh, I hope it was worth it.
0: Yeah, and then, in conclusion, yeah, bootlet knife, even with touch of battle,
1: still probably not a playable card. Probably not. It's a it's a dodgy little card. It has the problem that any one drop has, where uh, it does what it it does what it says on the tin, you know. But it, it's going to have a small impact on most games, and it's costed appropriately for that.
0: Yeah, I guess I don't know. Fury blade, just. A way better weapon
1: than that i mean some cards are better than others yeah fury blade's fine <laughs> it just like i mean that's but just because it it uh it kills a, a much wider range of things yeah yeah really the only way that boot knife is superior uh is if you combine it with touch of battle or you know if you're in the very very rare board state where you can kill something with one health and then kill another thing with one health on the next <laughs> turn without the boot knife getting attacked to death. So yeah. I just, that just doesn't happen often enough for it to be better than Fury Blade.
0: Yep. I agree. All right. So now onto our seven win run breakdown. This is our longstanding data collection project here at Farming Eternal, where our listeners send us their seven win drafts to farming at gmail.com or post them to the seven win channel of the Farming Eternal Discord in either exported decklist or any kind of Eternal Warcry link. And then we put a spreadsheet in that kind of breaks down how the metagame is shaping up. So, like we mentioned a bunch of times last week, we had we didn't record an episode for a while, so um, we were missing a few weeks of submissions. And then, because it was all Hats on Lamps' fault, He promised to read all the names this week. So hats on lamps, take
1: it away. Okay. Um, He forgot that. I I did forget it. (laughs) I don't have a memory that goes past one day ago. Uh, (laughs) Did we thank John Holio for entering all of these names into the list? Nope, but um, I I think you just did. Well, I'd like to do that then. Uh, Thank you, as always, to John Holio for entering all the names into the list. Um, Let's see here. Uh, So I'd like to thank our new contributors, Delverino, uh, Iplongno, or uh, I'm not sure exactly if I pronounced that correctly, but I gave it my best shot, and Pieris. Uh, And also thank our veteran contributors, Agent Dynamo, Alabazoo, Apricot Knight, Argo Control, Beard Broken, uh, Celtic, Celtic Guardian 7, is it Celtic or Celtic? I always say Celtic. Yeah, that's probably correct. Uh, Celtic Guardian 7, Commander Salamander, Darth Herman 2, D-Dub, Disc Golf Dan, Gatosujo, Grandar, Handyman, Hats on Lamps, Jedi EJ, Jed the Homerid, John Holio, Cassendrith, Mancio 1982, Mercurio Blue, Another Ship, Out on a Limb, Patamaru, Raven Dragon, Sekarnan, Sigma Tank, Slamgo, Sleffer 13, Sunblaze, Tempest Dragon King, Titus and Blossom, Vader and Wintermute. Thank you all for sending in your deck lists. You are valued valued members of the community.
0: Yeah. And we're not going to talk about this at all because as we mentioned <laughs> the resu- uh,
1: not not the people but the results of the like the spreadsheet, like the breakdown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I meant.
0: Yeah. Um because by the time i release this episode probably the new format will already be out so who cares
1: i mean i guess like you know the the final breakdown would be sort of interesting because we're done right like what did what did it end up being okay fine i'll open the tab (laughs) god God forbid our data-driven podcast talk about data (laughs) This is it. what it sounds like. This is the this is Patrick's mood when he's opening tabs.
0: Well I haven't thought about this. Okay. It looks oh, we exactly don't have to do like it, it did you last can refuse. Week, <laughs> except with more deck lists. Uh-huh. So listen to episode
1: 60. Okay. Uh nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. <laughs> same uh, decks are good, same same factions are good. Yeah. Uh, let's 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 I'm get it.
0: Shadowfire and Justice are pretty all close together. Primal still
1: sucks. Mm-hmm. I've received some pushback from on that about expressing how much Primal sucks. Uh, people have told me it's not fair, and yet uh, the numbers don't lie. People don't like playing it.
0: Yeah, and actually, I will say this week, I don't remember exactly what happened last week. It was a whole week ago. Mm-hmm. But I do remember saying there were like a lot of different archetypes doing well, but this week man, FTJ and FTS are like blowing everyone else out of the water.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And it's really interesting because I feel like that's been kind of like one of the things I wanted to talk about in this episode the Sunset Show is they those two decks along with TJP though it's not doing as well in this current iteration of the format have have been kind doing of these like um, you know, these through-threads throughout the whole format, where, you know, no matter what what Direwolf seems to do to the draft packs and pack order changes, like, these guys, these two decks have been sort of the consistent winners, um, sort of the pillars of the format.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me. Like, no matter what they did to the draft packs the powerful cards for those two like general archetypes were kind of in echoes of eternity in set eight so you could still get the skeleton of the deck and then just sort of fill in the gaps with whatever you picked up in the in the in the draft packs um in the curated draft packs so uh not a surprise to me that they they both that both of those decks still uh kind of stayed consistently strong the whole time um (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I agree. I agree. And the other thing is, I mentioned this last week also that this was, there were a lot more two color decks than in previous formats. This is still three color dominated, um, but we continue to get more and more, a, a bigger percentage of two color decks appearing. So people continue to have more and more success with two color decks.
1: I personally have not been able to work make that work for me very well. I've had some good two-color decks, but uh, nearly all of my seven-win decks have at least been splashing a third faction.
0: Right. Yeah, that's that's interesting um, because I, I would say my decks have been about fifty-fifty between two and three colors, and and really no correlation, like. N- of which was doing better. They were both doing about as well and poorly as each other. So my my experience sort of matched a little bit closer to what we ended up seeing, but, you know.
1: Yeah. It's also, it might just be drafting style too. I I, I have a hard time resisting splashing for very powerful cards even mm-hmm. if I don't have enough influence for them, because I figure it'll make the difference in enough games that the inconsistency that it introduces into the deck is worth it. Uh, but I might be wrong about that. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily the final word on all this. Yeah, I did
0: lose a game this week where I had a Xenon deck and I, I kept a hand with three Shadow Sigils. Well, actually, here, I'd like your opinion on this, because I think I was right. I'm a two-color deck, so okay. let's assume my influence... I think my influence is probably 10-8, 10 being shadow and 8 being time. Okay. And my starting hand is three shadow sigils, a shadow two-drop, a rectifier, a waystone gate, and one more time card. Okay. Do you keep that hand? No,
1: I probably throw that back. Really? Yeah.
0: But that hand's you have you have a two-drop you can play, right. and you just need to draw one time sigil and then you're golden.
1: Yeah, so let's see. You've got um uh you've got eight time sources in your deck, right? Yeah. So um you have two draws and you you because you have two draws before you want to be playing Waystone Gate on three, right? Yeah. Um and like eight out of the thirty-eight cards that you have in your deck is um let's do math in our heads. So you've got a one in four and a half chance uh, uh, so you've got you've got a seven over. Hold on, <laughs> you've got. A, <laughs> I should have some paper. Uh, uh, you've got a you've got an eight over over thirty. It's like uh, it's a, it's a closer to one in five chance of drawing your time sigil uh, in each draw. It's somewhere oh. between one in four and one in five. And mm. uh, so that's not great. Uh, you're probably not going to get your time sigil on turn three to play your waystone gate. And you're almost certainly not going to be able to play the Rectifier until much later in the game. So, yeah, I wouldn't keep it. because Right,
0: but, like, the Rectifier thing is, like, it's not so that much later because...
1: Let's forget the Rectifier, then.
0: Because the second you draw a time sigil, you have your Waystone Gate to draw you another time sigil. That's
1: true. So the Rectifier isn't relevant. You're right. Um, but... If you're, what, you're, what you're hoping that your deck will do is get a time sigil, which is unlikely, but it's probably somewhere in the range of like 20% or something like that. Yeah. I'm probably wrong there. But
0: if it's more than that because it's one in five and one in five
1: because you have right. two so, cards. So I guess it's, I don't know. I wish I knew exactly how percentages worked off the top yes. of my head here. Plus, um, any yeah. shadow card you draw is also yes. a good draw. Yes, but all of your time cards are bad draws. It's something like, it's, so it's definitely most of your deck is bad draws now, because every time card and every non-time sigil is a bad draw now.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's most, but yeah, okay. So that's why I wouldn't keep it,
1: yeah. it's. I think sometimes you keep that, and if you do get the time sigil, great. I mean, you're golden. Uh, I just think the chances that, that there's going to be more games where you don't draw the time sigil in time and you get run over by your opponent. So okay, that's, would
0: you go down to six for that hand?
1: No, I wouldn't. I would. I would. I would. I would keep it if if it's uh, if it's a choice between keeping it and going down to six. Okay.
0: Yeah, I forget which situation it was. Either way, I kept it and then I drew four more shadow sigils.
1: Sure, that's the risk. <laughs> that's unlikely as well that scenario, but it is definitely within the, you know, within the realm of probability. Probability is the word that I wanted, not percentages.
0: Probability. Uh yeah, and then I died.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely wouldn't have kept that in that situation, unless it was to go down to six, on, especially on the play. I might go down to six if I were on the draw in that situation. Because I think, huh. I, yeah, yeah, that's how I feel. That's yeah, that's I feel.
0: surprising. I don't think I would ever go down to six, but I'm a, I'm I consider you like a pretty conservative mulliganer, and I'm probably even more conservative in mulliganing.
1: Yeah, um, I I don't know. I mean, it also depends on the makeup of your deck. Like, what are the cards that you're likely to draw? Even if you're drawing shadow cards, are they going to be good enough to win the game? I had a marionette no. cross in the deck. Oh, did you? Well, that that uh, I mean, that's a pretty good... If you draw that, that's a whole extra card in your deck that's a good draw, so that's good. I didn't draw it. No, no. Yeah, that hand a lot better though. It certainly would have. Yeah. If you if if the one shadow card that you'd had in your hand was Marionette Cross, that would actually make a big difference in in, because that that card by itself would stabilize the board for long enough to get quite a few more draws to get that time sigil. So Yeah, it turned
0: out it wouldn't have helped me get that time sigil.
1: Yeah. But Uh, but then we're then we're introducing a lot of variables. Like if you had that card, then it's different. I don't know. If you're anyway, uh, yeah, no, that's how I I'm uh, I I can confidently say that I would throw that uh, that hand back. But if it's a choice of going down to six and I'm on the draw, I'm not totally sure. I think I would have to know a little bit more about what's in the deck before I would make that decision because I don't like going down to six. That's true. I don't usually go down to six because I think you lose a lot of games just through sheer like sheer lack of options compared to your opponent when you do that. Um, uh, but also, uh, I evaluate my opening hands now a lot, uh, a lot of the time based on what my actual game plan is with the resources that I actually have in my hand. And, uh, rather than hoping that I'm going to be able to draw into something, um, and, and you can't, it's never perfect because there's going to be a lot of hands where you've got two two-drops and two sources of power and then you've got to draw another sigil before anything else happens. Um, but I like that better. I like knowing I'm going to be able to play two cards better than I'm going to be able to play some powerful cards if I draw just the right sigil. Uh, but for right now, I can only play one two-drop. Like, uh, like I like to be able to... Because no matter what your like later game powerful cards are you're going to have to draw sigils in order to be able to play them but if you've got a couple of two drops that you can drop you've got a lot of options on like you know block you know double blocking one of your opponent's plays or 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 just getting pressure on them so that they can't pressure you you know you've got more options if you can play more cards for sure so i tend to evaluate cards based on on that logic now rather than the potential of the hand um because i find that seems this seems to serve me a little bit better Mm-hmm. Than, than sort of like the long term game plan that my hand supplies me with. The long term game plan is in my deck. You know, I'll draw those cards eventually. Um, yeah, but the short term uh, is what you want your hand to be able to handle.
0: Yeah, I guess the I I think maybe I was getting too hung up on the Waystone Gate because with Waystone Gate being one of the best cards in the deck. And the fact that it felt like, oh, if I am able to play Waystone Gate, then I'm able to play any card in my deck. Right. You know, and so maybe that was, I think that was the thing I was overvaluing as compared to like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you were setting I mean, up Gate. I guess it's always did. just hard to throw
1: back a hand when you feel like you have a bomb in your hand uh yeah i think that's that's true but it's also sort of more of an emotional attachment to the bomb than it is like a like a logical assessment of the hand yeah. um but i definitely have made the same mistake myself i'm like oh well this is the bomb that i drafted like pick one pack one <laughs> and i want to play it so this hand has it i'll i'll i'll, I'll get the as i need to play it you know uh But, and which is, you know, if you want to play your, play your bombs and see them in your hand is excellent thinking. Uh, But if you want to, uh, you know, win games, it might have some flaws. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So shall we move on to our saying goodbye to Echoes of Eternity?
1: Yes. I can't wait to do that.
0: (laughs) It's been a while. I, you know, I'm actually these past couple weeks, I've been feeling a, a lot more positive towards this format, a little yeah. s- sentimental even. Um, so I think we're gonna, you know, kind of be the yin and the yang to to set eight here. That's
1: great. Conflict s- is conflict is the center to any good story.
0: In the in <laughs> our sunset show, uh-huh. so uh, we kind of do a. Um, sort of a limited resources, which is a Magic the Gathering podcast style sunset show, where we kind of ask a bunch of questions and answer them and kind of say, you know, give our final thoughts for the format. So
1: yeah,
0: yeah. to begin with, so hats. what is your one sentence summary
1: of the set eight draft format? I hope I get a disjunction. <laughs> and let me elaborate uh i've never been able to say that about a format before where i was halfway through a draft and and thinking oh boy i hope i get a disjunction but i said that all the time in this format and uh i think that means i, I like i feel like that's it kind of it's defining characteristic relics ended up being so good in general uh not just relic weapons but just uh, a lot of the individual relics um, and being able to bring them back from the void was good and being able to destroy your opponent's relics and also just any attachments uh, for that matter was good uh, where it ended up that a disjunction uh, card that I know I've talked about too much on this podcast but I'm not done yet uh, or <laughs> disjunction ended up being a really strong and reliable card even if your opponent wasn't playing any useful attachments chances were you could do something with it because you were playing good attachments or relics or weapons. So uh, it's just kind of cool that they managed to craft a format where a card that normally would be like, oh, do I really want to put this in my deck, Uh, felt like a gift if you happened to see it. Do you have a one-sentence summary of the set-eight draft format? I don't know. Did I? Um... It's a question that only you can answer. Thinking about it. All right. This is a good time to be thinking about it. Yeah. I can talk more about disjunction if you like. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like uh, to hear more about my thoughts on disjunction, you can look at any previous episode of Farming a Turtle.
0: Well. He's finally <laughs> accepted how much he talks about disjunction.
1: I, I like that I have some consistency. I'm like uh, I'm like I'm like my dad telling me the same stories about twenty times. Have you heard about the time that a guy got killed in my office building? Yeah, I have. I've heard about that a lot. <laughs> I think to sum up
0: this format, I, I would just say it was so close to being a great format.
1: Oh, well, I for thought me. we were going to be the yin and the yang.
0: <laughs> no, I no, I had a, a blast. The card that I've been thinking about a lot, especially after last week's episode, where we where you kind of just talked about how much you hated waystone gate Uh like waystone gate had like a lot of positive aspects to it too. And I want more cards like waystone gate in draft. I think like cards that help you play your cards like waystone gate, I think was a little bit too powerful and I was like, kind of thinking about what about Waystone Gate would make me like it more. And I was like, oh, maybe if they just like gave it Void Bound or something.
1: Sure. Yeah. Recurring it uh, with disjunction uh, was yeah. very powerful.
0: Would have improved it a lot. But the fact that like Waystone Gate was a card that like got you out of Power Screw or like helped. Fix your colors. It like did a lot of positive things. And and that was like a thing I liked about this format. Is this format had like a lot of powerful fun things that you could do. Mm-hmm. And it and we've talked about this a bunch. There were just like a lot of fun strategies. Like the destruction deck. Like you got to like sacrifice things and do fun things. Or the creation deck. You got the like this was like the first format where you can just like you could reliably get the seven power and just like play these big beefy weapons and then recur them and play more big beefy weapons and that was like just kind of a fun thing to do and so there were like a lot of really fun powerful things and there were like and i liked having cards like waystone gate or like um, these are in the dropbacks, but Amber Acolyte that just like help you play your own cards. And
1: yeah,
0: I just hope yeah. that Direwolf continues to print cards like that or like Blurry Chaser, like just like cards that help you play, play the game. Um, you know I mean? Yeah, like well,
1: that sort of reduce the number of games that are decided by Power Screw or um, yeah. Uh, uh, just just make yeah just make the just increase the number of games where both players get to more or less execute their game plan and then have each other's game plan bounce off of each other rather than have one person kind of dominate a game because they drew better because those games don't really feel that great unless you win them and then you're like great moving on to the next one Uh, but they don't feel that good because it was a victory over nothing It was a victory over your opponent's misery, whereas uh, the kind of draft games where it's like close and the decisions that you make matter make it feel like you're playing a real game and your hobby is worth something, uh, whereas if you <laughs> just sort of dominate a whole game, it's like, uh, okay, that was, that was good. I get a prize, but my prize is more uh, you know, imaginary gold coin, so it, uh, I, I kind of wish that game had been better. Yes,
0: exactly. And, that you know, like I said, I think they maybe overshot with Waystone Gate a little bit, but I don't know. You know, like even like Kindling Carver, like one of the things I liked about that card was it felt like Wisdom the Elders was always like a hard card draw card to play. But Kindling Carver just allowed you to, for not a lot of power output, like kind of dig through your deck and find power or find cards you need by, like, getting rid of unneeded resources as compared to, like, spending a whole turn doing nothing to draw a card. And so it just was, like, another another way that you could dig through your deck to find, to, like, actually execute your game plan. And I just want, I'm hoping in this new format we get more cards like that that just like help you play the cards you draft instead of hope to draw the cards in the right order to execute your game plan.
1: I guess um, I guess another card that would fall into that category is Blade crafter since I, I mean we haven't seen very many other cards, if any at all, um, at common rarity that let you choose a whole card from your deck of your cho- of, of, of your choosing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the card that you want <laughs> your end game plan um and get a 2-2 two, two body on the board uh i mean Bladecrafter made those relic weapon decks so much more consistent uh so um to the point where sometimes i, I really hated seeing my opponent play one I was like oh good they just went and got the best card in their deck uh neat <laughs> well, how am i gonna win this game now um uh, So maybe less consistent than that, but in that direction.
0: Yeah, but I think even that, you know, it wasn't so much the blade crafter that was the problem. I think it was the fact that with Shugo Hooksword, you know, they have a chump blocker and blade crafter, and Shugo Hooksword, you know, creates a chump blocker. So, like... It's really there's not just like not a lot of counterplay to Sh- Shugo's Hook Sword in that situation, and then with um, Edge of Prophecy, there was just so much recursion, especially in the earlier iterations of this format, that you know it, you know Edge of Prophecy was like a lot better of a card than in this format than it could be like you know like in this latest iteration you take away disjunction and you take away a couple of these ways to recur edge of prophecy and that becomes a, a much less oppressive card
1: that's true and uh, yeah
0: and so i feel like a blade crafter without like a go hooks you know like you can imagine a Blade Crafter where, yeah, it's just a very good card, sort of more in line with what I'm talking about, than a card that draws a card that you just like can never deal with. You know, like a yeah. Shugo sword because you now have two chump blockers when when they draw the Shugo yeah, Hooksword.
1: Yeah, it was the combination of the weapons that you were capable of going to get with Bladecrafter and the fact that Blade Crafter existed. If the best... If two of the best cards in the format hadn't been relic weapons, then sure Bladecrafter would just be a card that went and got another card, <laughs> but instead, all you needed was one edge of prophecy, one of the strongest cards in the format, and Bladecrafter would be another copy of that card essentially in your deck and that's yeah. a very that's very good,
0: yeah, and I don't even like a like I didn't even mind that yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what's interesting is I think part of the problem was there's just so much weapon recursion because like, it's not so much that Blade Crafter was a second copy of the best card in your deck, which I I don't mind so much. It's that it became a second copy of the best card of their deck that they could then replay three times.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Which, oh, yeah, uh,
1: the combination of all of those things is why creation was... Maybe the best archetype in the format, um, at least it's one that I won a lot with. Uh, but I think if you took out Blade, I think if you took out Bladecraft, well, I mean we're talking about like how it's nice to have cards that make your game plan more consistent. Um, and I think that maybe some strategies got more tools in that area than others, like faction wise. You know, uh, time yes. got time got uh, as it usually does, uh, influence fixing. And in Waystone Gate, it got influence fixing and you know uh, board stabilization and card draw all in one card. <laughs> um, whereas in in Fire, you got Blade Crafter, which gets your end game into your hand, or you know because it's a versatile card, sometimes short short term removal. Uh, but I don't think Justice got anything like that, and Primal certainly didn't get anything like that. Even though it's the card draw, well, I guess I guess Primal actually technically got a card that can draw anything you want out of your deck i just don't think uh anyone really played it in draft that was Linray's kiss and maybe people should have uh, valued that card a little bit higher uh certainly if you have like a major bomb in your deck then Linray's kiss would be a second copy of that card but you do have to pay five for it uh, with a unit or seven without one so uh, i don't think people really zeroed in on it as a powerful card somehow yeah. Maybe because it wasn't in a color that had a lot of bombs. So it just sort of never really worked out where it, you had something that you really wanted to get for that cost. Anyway, so yeah, um and then what's the other color? Shadow. Shadow can't search for anything. So uh it was just sort of like the stuff that made it easier to play cards was sort of concentrated in two factions.
0: Yeah, I agree. So I just I hope they continue to explore, you know, these sort of variant smoothing mechanics
1: well primal normally has some scout mechanics and just sort of didn't in this set right um so if they'd given if they'd if they'd given it more scout like they have in past sets that would have that would have helped,
0: yeah, yeah, and I mean like in the draft packs you know like in this last format they i always forget the card name you know they had the two one looter that's hits you know helps you sort of dig and stuff but i don't know primal was just so bad in other aspects you know you couldn't really felt like you couldn't really take
1: advantage of 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 that no and and i think lightning sprite is out of the format completely so you couldn't you know go into primal because you got a lightning sprite right um, exactly. but lightning right. sprite that's one of the reasons why lightning sprite was sort of a windmill slam Uh, uncommon was that it made your game plan extremely consistent because you got to just rifle through your deck sometimes the very turn that you played it and then attack with a flyer was great oh man, I missed Lightning Sprite
0: (laughs) well who knows You know, we probably don't have all new draft packs uh, I know,
1: maybe maybe they'll put it back in in a a little bit
0: yeah, it was a little unclear I guess they're going to change the draft packs this week
1: if it's like the last time they did a preview, yeah, they're going to add all of those commons and uncommons from the new set, and then they're going to semi-randomly throw in a bunch of other cards uh, from previous sets that kind of match with the new mechanics they're introducing. Um, yes. But but if it's also if also if it's like the preview the last preview, um, the cards that like the mechanics that they kind of focus on at first won't mm-hmm. be necessarily. Uh, major uh, themes in in when in the in the draft in the full draft format when they released that because I remember them having like uh, nesting raven in the preview cards and mm-hmm. possibly book club yeti as well which were uh, units that were notable because they could sacrifice themselves for zero power and they also had some tribute cards that. Of course, activate if one of your units has gone to the void this turn. And it seemed like that was maybe going to be a theme in the new set. Was you know cards that can sacrifice themselves and also c- tribute cards that benefit from something having died. But they didn't. That theme wasn't present at all. They did. Uh, there were hardly any tribute cards <laughs> in, in in set eight, and they didn't put a lot of tribute cards in the curated draft packs either. So they just sort of tried that out for the preview and then totally dropped it um so i'm expecting that to happen again and i'm not going to make a lot of predictions about the draft format based on our our temporary preview format at all because i found that that's not a good use of my brain power
0: (laughs) yeah i agree yeah i don't actually remember how expedition and stuff work you know because draft packs are theoretically tied to expedition so
1: Mm, yeah i mean they.
0: It seems like they're not going to change Expedition just for a single week, like they will the back. But really, who knows what Direwolf will do.
1: Yeah, yeah, who knows? Maybe they'll announce some sort of alliance with some other card game, and we'll be able to play cards from an entirely different game in Eternal for a week. We don't know. Yeah, never know.
0: All right, so um, on to our next question. So how
1: did you (laughs) end up liking this format? Well, that's gone up and down for me. Uh, I was I really liked the format at the beginning. I liked the fact that relics were a whole sort of like um, a whole sort of vector to explore that we hadn't really been able to do before in draft. Uh, I liked that. I liked that the format was slower. So that I could draft a different style of deck because I was used to I was used to playing very aggressive strategies and having that sort of be the best choice for me most of the time and it was neat to try to learn how to draft control and uh, have uh, have a lot more inevitability in my game plan and that kind of thing so uh so I enjoyed that. I think there were a lot of different decks that you could draft successfully obviously, time was massively overpowered for part of the format, but um uh, they, did, they did end up kind of adjusting that, so it was a little bit more balanced. And uh, so there was a period there where I was really enjoying it, and in some ways it was one of my favorite formats. Uh, but as we said last week, um, as I said many times last week, uh, the, after the flip, when they changed the, um, the order of the packs and, uh, the, um, and which cards in the curated draft packs were boosted, uh, I I didn't enjoy it at all anymore. It really felt like one of the worst draft formats, um, due due to the due to a lot of factors, but mostly the lack of answers to common threats in the format. And so yeah, it was a bummer for a while for me. And I did learn how to draft it effectively eventually, um, but I still don't like the decks that I'm playing. They feel awkward, and uh, the games feel very sort of. I don't know. I, I, I think I've I think I've been down. I think I've said enough about why I haven't enjoyed um, this current iteration. Um, but it was fairly I don't know. It was fairly short, like the period of time that I had to play it too. Because what 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 were there like three or four different sub formats within this format? Uh, the chain with the changes that they made. Yeah. I- at least four i would at say. at least four yeah and i like that that part of it where they are willing to experiment with the format a little bit um i i enjoy that i think uh, for some people it might be a little bit too much turmoil because maybe they draft less than i do um because they're regular human beings uh <laughs> who aren't obsessed and that's good uh mm-hmm. but also if you so if you draft a lot like me then I like uh, that things get switched up, um, uh, so that I can try different strategies, and I have to, you know, not I, I don't settle into a rut. Um, but if you draft a, a little bit less, uh, like like it's a, like it's a hobby and not a job, then then having the format change that often might not be so good because you barely had time to get used to one format before they change things up again, and the things that you were doing aren't working anymore. Um, And I can imagine that being very frustrating. I don't think there's an answer because you can't uh, you can't really make it work for for everyone at the same time. Um, So I guess I can really just speak for myself and say that I hope they keep kind of doing what they've been doing and, and change it up every few weeks a little bit, even if it's just to add a few cards to to make up for glaring holes in in the format. Um, And I'm not sure if they're really doing that. (laughs) But I'm not sure if that's their philosophy. But if it is, I hope they keep doing it. Uh, So yeah, so it was up and down for me. It was a little bit of a roller coaster this format. But there were times when I felt like it was one of the best formats that they've ever crafted. And there's times when I felt like it was one of the worst formats they've ever crafted. And those were different times because of changes that they made. Um, Yeah, overall, I really like Set 8 uh, as a limited format. Um, even with the imbalance in the factions. Um, I mostly I mostly quite enjoyed it. How did you feel about it?
0: Yeah, I, I think I was, in general, uh, pretty positive about the format. You know, I, I do take... I, I'm still mixed about the constant turmoil because I, I do draft less than you. And it always felt like as soon as I was getting a handle on the format, I um, it would change slightly out from under me, and and uh, I don't know. And I guess part of the problem is just maybe psychological because like some of the changes were never that major, but there were changes. So then I was just like never sure what. <laughs> you know, what I should be doing, whether I should just like continue to draft how I was drafting or whether I should try to take into account the changes and whether I would notice, you know, the changes or notice me taking it. you know, I would like level myself sort of thinking about it almost even though, you know, they just changed like a couple percentage points on a few cards or whatever. Yeah. And, um, so that was a a little bit weird. And like this change now that we're about to, you know set 9 is going to release and you know I was I feel like I was just getting a footing in this final format and then all of a sudden it's changing on me again which again if I drafted more I think I can, I like I can understand the perspective of liking it but like for me where I'm maybe doing a couple drafts a week right now it just like feels like Oh and you know you're finally getting used to the drop pack changes and all of a sudden they're gone I guess.
1: Um, I think you're speaking for the majority of players here um, too. I think more I think there's more people who would be who who would rather things were a little more stable. That's my sense. Really yeah. it's just, it, really I'm just entirely guessing because most of the people who play the game less also post less on like reddit and and discord and so forth so i'm really assuming that there's a lot of people that are not entirely obsessed with the game that play it for fun and therefore draft a a few times and the 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 the, it, the format probably changes more often than they would like seems yeah. seems like a reasonable assumption
0: and i i, th- I think i'd also feel a little bit better if the, if i felt like the draft changes had a purpose, uh, more of a purpose behind them.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And, you know, because, I mean, this is just a constant thing with Direwolf, is they they don't like to over-communicate things. Um, and so, you know, once again, we've been doing a lot of comparisons to Magic recently, but, you know, like with Magic, when they release a new set, like, Someone from R&D writes an article that explains, like, here's the 10 archetypes that we planned for this set. And here's how many people we think, like, we think at, in a pod, you know, red, black can support two drafters. And this archetype can support this many drafters. And, and they kind of really lay out their, like, thinking behind the draft format and you know sometimes they're right sometimes they're wrong and you know the meta will evolve on its own but you really get a sense of what they were going for and because direwolf doesn't communicate as well it's you know it's like fun because like there's a lot of exploration but like sometimes they do changes and it's like you feel like there's has to be a purpose for it, but it's like, why did they add these five cards? Or, like, why did they boost these ten cards and stop boosting these ten cards? Like, what what were they imagining? And sometimes it feels really hard to see. And just, like, knowing that they did have a plan even if the final meta or whatever doesn't evolve into that, it just like, for me personally, it'd be nice to know all of this stuff and like, just like having that confidence and knowledge, like makes it more enjoyable for
1: me. Yeah. Just, just having a little evidence that they're doing everything with intention uh, would be nice. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and it's not. There's nothing wrong with giving people a little head start into the format, like saying, "Like this is what we're trying to do. I hope it works out. Give it a try," Uh, rather than just sort of saying, "Here are all the cards. Good luck." Uh, (laughs) Yeah, because Eternal Draft already feels more chaotic than Magic Draft uh, because it's designed a little bit looser. If you if that makes sense, you know, like Magic Draft is very much designed around limited first constructed. Uh, and then constructed as sort of like the rears and the legend and the not the legendaries what are they called? Uh, mythics mythics uh, in a way that eternal isn't, I don't think I don't know uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm not sure about that but um, but the the limited format and we talked about this a little bit last week uh, too about how there are certain color identity cards that don't make it into every limited format for eternal for various Mm -hmm. reasons and they make it feel like a little bit more wild westy like you just sort of have to figure out what's good this time rather than relying on some consistent draft strategies that apply to every format and then learning how this format is different every draft format is totally different (laughs) which is not i think ideal uh because uh, you want some grounding going into a new format, and, and it I, it's, it's all it always feels a little bit like. Well, I don't know what's going to be good. We're gonna we'll find out. <laughs> Probably time will be the best, but other than that, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be chaos at first. I don't know. Um, what are we talking about now? Yeah, yeah, more more communication would definitely be good. Just some theory articles uh yeah i'm like hey this is what we're planning here we go instead of like there's gonna be new cards coming out and that's all the information you get
0: yeah and for me honestly like even like if they don't even with like the new set because that's like an initial big thing and you're like well you know they came out with the new set they came out with new dropbox they obviously have a plan but when they're doing like four or five changes throughout the format and it'd just be nice for me to know like what they were hoping to accomplish with the changes.
1: Um, right. We do a lot of speculation here. Uh, one of the first changes they made when they um, when they when they changed which cards were boosted and which weren't uh, was that it's we, we guessed that they were trying to weaken time as a faction because they introduced some cards in the curated draft packs. they didn't introduce them, but they boosted cards in the draft packs that we didn't think were as strong as the ones that they boosted for the other factions. But we had to guess that. Like we looked at it and we we're like, maybe that's what they're trying to do. I don't know, because they didn't say that's what they were trying to do. <laughs> they said they did say they were trying to restore like balance between the factions, right? Like that was somewhere that they said that. Yeah, probably. But there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with saying time is too powerful. We know that, and we're going to try to make up for that uh, with this next change, because uh, like that doesn't—I don't see any reason for that to be hidden knowledge. Like, there's still going to be stuff for drafters to figure out, and there's going to be all of the expert-level stuff that the best drafters try to figure out, even if they know what the overall goals are uh, in 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 the changes that they make to a limited format. There will always be more for us to discover on our own. Um, so giving us some information doesn't, like, spoil the format for anyone. Um, I'd be totally happy. Because that's that, I, I agree, that's something that I like about the approach that Magic has had for a long time now, is they just tell you everything. You know, they don't tell you cards. They don't tell you all of the cards that are going to be coming out right away. They, they space that out to, to build excitement. But in terms of their theories and the process they went through for the design and all of that... They love telling you that stuff, and it's great. It's yeah. great to read that stuff. Yeah, Direwolf doesn't do any of that. It's it's kind of a shame.
0: All right, so what faction ended up being the
1: best? Time ended up being the best.
0: Yeah, yeah I think this is a, a consistent theme over this podcast in the last few sets is times oh, somehow Still manages... Best.
1: <laughs> Somehow manages to be the best.
0: And, uh... And once again, this was the exact same in the last format. It's like Time had the best 2-drop and the the best late game. And once again, Time had the best 2-drop and the best late game.
1: Yeah, it did. Um, best 2-drop was Magnificent Stranger, and the best late game was, I guess, Waystone Gate? What else? There were other things. Um... But so what time does well in the game overall is to have big, efficient units, uh, influence fixing, and uh, I guess they have silence. It's one of the factions that gets silence as a keyword, Mm -hmm. Um, and silence is very effective and limited. And... Let's see. What else does time do? Uh, oh, oh, also, uh, I guess power ramp. Although that's not as important in limited. But if it just had big efficient units and influence fixing, that already is like, well, it's going to be tough to beat because those are things that you want in your <laughs> in your in your draft decks is is creatures that creatures units that are are good for their cost, uh, and also ways to fix your influence so that you can play powerful cards more consistently uh the two best things that you can have are both in time and uh like the other factions have all sorts of tricky things that they can do um but uh, time's still got that and then to also make card cycles like the like the common strangers and have the best one of those be time and then also in the uncommons have Nahid's Distillation and Waystone Gate. Uh, like, the like Waystone Gate is part of a two-card cycle. Basically, like, uh, Bottle bottle of Storm? Storm Bottle? Bottle? Some, bottle something. Bottle um, Storm. Bottle of Storm. Uh, uh, Waystone Gate and Bottle of Storm are obviously very similar cards, in a sense. They cost three. They are relics. They cost three to activate. Uh, and then when they go to the Void, they give you an extra thing. Whereas Bottled Storm does one damage with its ability... Waystone Gate draws a card, which is better than doing one damage. (laughs) It draws only sigils, but it's still drawing a card, and it fuels itself. And then its ability is to make an 8-8, which in in a sense isn't as good as drawing three cards, but in limited, getting a free 8-8 uh, may actually be better than drawing three cards because it immediately impacts the board and it's probably worth three of your opponent's cards because they're going to have to deal with that thing. So anyway, yeah. all of it, we know that Waystone Gate is good, but it's just an example of how when they do cycles, the time version of the cycle is always the best one. Uh, and, and that's not that doesn't have to be true. If they wanted to balance the factions they could change that when they do cycles <laughs> they could they could not make Nahid's distillation dramatically better than any of the other spells that did something but cost two less when you uh exhaust a creature when you, like thun i think thunder the, the thunder thunder of uh wings is the yeah. closest to being a good is also a great card but still you would take distillation over Thunder of Wings. And that's a that's a four-two flyer with charge for three. <laughs> so that they could fix this. They have the option to say, you know what, we've made time way overpowered the last like ninety draft sets. We can fix it this time. They could that's a decision that they could make.
0: Yep. Or they could <laughs> be like primal where they're like, oh, Shoot, we fixed it. We better change this up. Yeah,
1: we fixed it for too long. Let's break it again.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I agree. Time was by far the best. Um, we'll see what happens in set nine. I'm looking forward to it.
1: I'm looking but, forward to discovering why time is too good in this set.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, but, Yeah. I I honestly don't mind it's it's so hard to know how I I feel about it, honestly, because like I think there's good aspects because time is doing really good stuff. So like I'm glad there's influence fixing and silence and big stuff to win the game in the game. And as far as I can tell, this has been true the last few sets. Is like time is the best faction, and it's always open. So
1: <laughs> somehow, yeah,
0: yeah, somehow. So I I don't totally understand how it works. So it's never actually felt like that horrible in a sense.
1: So there are definitely worse problems. Oh, oh. yeah, I mean, and there's nothing intrinsically wrong with one faction being better than the others um more like morally speaking um the the harm that it does to a format is that it uh it, is that it makes it unbalanced and makes it makes it so some strategies are dramatically better than other strategies which means that you have less options during a draft which means it's harder to uh, which means that there aren't as many, you know, invisible paths through the forest, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. you, you've only got a couple of paths if you want to if you want to win drafts. And uh, I think a format is healthier and more interesting the more paths there are to follow. So that's okay. all. That's the only reason I want to see the factions balanced is because I think it's more. Uh, it makes the game more fun. All right. So
0: time ended up being the best faction. So what was? the best deck of the
1: format for you. The best deck? Yeah. Like best archetype, you mean? Yeah. I I still think it was probably the creation deck, the Relic Weapon Recursion deck, in terms of sheer strength. When I was in that deck, I was the most confident that I'd be able to just win game after game.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that was probably the best deck, and... It was one of like the coolest decks to draft. Like, it was cool that there was a deck that consistently got to seven power and then got to play all of its
1: super powerful cards. Yeah, um, uh, it made weird like it made weird cards like Victor's Feast good. You know, because um, like I I don't I think it was impossible to evaluate Victor's Feast when I first saw it. And, um, and then I realized when there that there was a shell for it uh, where you were trying to get to seven power and then recur impossibly powerful cards with cards like turn back time. Then Victor's Feast was like, oh, this totally makes sense. Uh, you get a chump blocker. You get to draw, so you're more likely to draw the powerful cards that you're looking for. You get to ramp uh, so that you can play your seven power card on turn six, and you get an 8-8, which is your finisher for your slow control deck anyway. Great. That's the card I'm looking for. <laughs> but it didn't make sense until I realized there was a deck where it had a home. Right. Uh, so it was like I was like all over the place on that card. But once I was like, oh, I'm going to have a turn back time and uh, you know, and I'm going to have seven drops that win the game, I was like, well, now, now I like it. Now I like it. It's got a home, this bizarro card. Great. Uh, and there were a lot of cards like that um and uh you got to play cards that you normally wouldn't play in a limited deck and uh uh and yeah i mean that's one of the things that i look for in a format and, i mean for all of like the complaints that i had about sort of the wild west feeling of each new limited format in, in eternal where like you're going to have to figure new things out Sometimes there is a payoff where you get to draft the kind of deck that you normally wouldn't and or, or you wouldn't have in previous formats, and and that's great because then it feels like you're playing a whole new game, uh, and that's why we play these collectible card games. Is it was sometimes it gets to feel, it feels almost like we're playing a new game um, uh, without having to learn how to play a, an actual whole new game. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Cool. So. What was the best comment in set eight? Uh,
1: before the nerfs, definitely rectifier. Um, rectifier was the two one that silences two two one for three time that silences uh, another unit, and also has corrupted corrupted two, so it gets to do it again after it dies. That was that was the most powerful comment overall. Um, after the nerf, I'm not actually sure if it's still is i don't feel quite as good about just sort of jamming it in every single deck but it's still a powerful card yeah and it's also
0: it's hard to figure out what the best common in set eight is after the nerfs because the nerfs came along with the draft pack changes and so you're never really faced with the question of which which comment you know pack one pick one, which common would I take first because you're never pack one picking set eight anymore so right
1: whether or not you can reasonably put a uh, a card with with double time influence in your deck is now a real factor when you see a rectifier and uh, if 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 you were seeing it in pack one you'd be like, well, I'm just gonna take it and then I'm gonna draft time but now, like, you've got a whole pack that is telling you whether or not you're going to be able to draft time. So, yeah, yeah. That, it totally changes it. It's much harder to evaluate now. So, But but before the switch, I was completely confident in saying Rectifier was the best common. Even if you didn't want to play, a, like, all of the copies, like, like, I don't know if it was right to play three or four copies, the first copy was always something that you wanted and you would put in any deck because the effect was just so powerful. Yeah and so splashable so yeah yeah exactly you could splash it as removal
0: yeah yeah and for me runner ups are probably Magnificent stranger and biting winds
1: uh yeah yeah those are those are those are solid choices for sure
0: yeah and then okay so what did you with this latest iteration of set 8 what was the best common in the draft packs
1: uh it's real hard to for me to answer that honestly. Um, I I think my top choice is probably Amber Acolyte. Uh, that's that's the two one for for three time. Um, and when it comes into play, you draw a sigil of your choice from your deck. Mm-hmm. For kind of all the reasons that we've been talking about, how why time is good is because you get to fix your influence, um, but also put a body on the board. Um, like If I have an Amber Acolyte in my deck, I feel safe drafting a lot of different strategies because I know that Amber Acolyte is going to make it easier for me to do that. And also Chump Block, if necessary, to give me the time to do that. And also if I have something like Horn of Plenty, it will it, I'll be able to keep, keep that body relevant further into the game. So I think it just fits so well into so many strategies uh, that I'm kind of happy to pick it up if I don't have a really powerful, uncommon, or rare to look at. And then after that, uh, then maybe Horn of Plenty. I know this is a card, that I'm not quite as high on as a lot of people. But it's definitely a powerful card. And then Wormstone, which is a seven-seven for four. <laughs> yeah. um, you have to jump through one hoop to make Wormstone a seven-seven for four. But it's it's uh, you're gonna play spells in your deck, and it's a it's a big it's it's a very efficient card. So. Uh, yeah all of all of those cards are in time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I agree. Yeah, the only card that was close for me and again, I would never pick it over any of these cards was the the two one quick draw weapon. But mm-hmm. that's just like also a card you don't pick that early. It's not like a pack one pick one card but it was a card that i wanted any of my aggressive shadow decks to have
1: right it's extremely good in some strategies but it's not sort of universally good the way the way the time commons are yeah so yeah that's that's the thing is um like when you're picking those early picks you want cards that you're probably going to play in whatever strategy that you end up in and time is real good at doing that yeah
0: all right, so then what card were you hoping to open
1: in set 8? And I just want to say that this question is my least favorite of all the questions. <laughs> just because I don't I don't know, maybe I don't my I don't function that way where I'm hoping to open certain cards, uh like I can't hope to open certain like a legendary because it's such a rare thing and like there's a lot of legendaries that I would pick up just to be able to play with them, you know um
0: yeah and and are there any that you would love
1: to play with yeah no i know i know that's what the question means for some reason it's very difficult for me to answer though maybe i'm just not an optimist optimistic person and i can't decide what i'm hoping for because i don't hope for anything because i'm just that buddhist of a person and i don't hope for things because that way only brings pain (laughs) Uh, yeah. I'd like. Uh, I don't know. Like, I want to open a grown-up stranger, right? I'd take it and play it. Uh, I would want to open a Makara's quiver because that's a super fun card. I'd want to open um. There's a. I mean, uh, well, I would want to open a Pale Rider's timepiece because that's the most unfair card ever. But I never did. I played against it multiple times, but I never opened one. Um, well, yeah,
0: but see, this is this brings out about an interesting conversation, like, right? Would you uh, do you want to open a pale rider's timepiece or do you want to open a growdove stranger?
1: Oh well, which of those two? Probably timepiece. Okay. So it seems
0: like you managed to answer this impossible question that you don't. It's like. not, I didn't say it was impossible. I just
1: hate it. <laughs> I've yeah, but you answered. It, but I felt it. bad. It's very time. easy to answer. I guess so.
0: How, Hats just, he's been, he's very sad that he's lost twice to a Pale Rider's timepiece and yet has never drafted it himself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It just sets up a a cycle of desire and disappointment that I don't like participating in. And
0: so he decides, he wants to burn the whole show down.
1: I want the system.
0: Just admitting his own feelings about Pale Rider's timepiece. (laughs) <laughs> which, for those of you who don't know, is a six shadow 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 plus four plus four weapon. With that, gives the unit flying, deadly, killer, and life steal, and then spellcraft six. Play the witching hour. Yeah. Which plays four four fours. One of them has flying. One of them has deadly. One of them has killer, and one of them has life steal.
1: Yeah, it's a very cool card, and I'm glad it's a legendary, so you don't see it that often in draft. Because uh, I already see it too often in draft. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think the card that
0: I was always super happy to open was Strange Burglar.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And I opened more than my fair share of Strange Burglars. And even when I was not quite in those colors, I would pick it and then try to make it work.
1: Yeah. That's the 5-4 for 4 in Stone Scar, and you can I think uh, exhaust it and pay 2 and sacrifice another unit to draw 3 cards and do 3 damage to yourself.
0: Yep, and then when you play a Stranger, all your units get plus 1 attack this turn.
1: Yeah, it does a lot of things.
0: Yeah. D-sweet card.
1: Yeah, and if if we take Legendaries off the table, I would hope to open a Master's Blade. Uh, Master's Blade um, is a I guess it used to be a plus one, plus one, but now it's a plus zero, plus yeah. zero. It's an expensive fall short. We've already discussed It's an expensive, expensive. Yeah, we have discussed it. Anyway, I like it. I don't think there's ever been a pack uh, with a Master's Blade in it where I haven't just taken it because it's also splashable removal. So, you know. I think you like it more than I do, actually.
0: Master's Blade? Yeah. I don't really like Master's Blade. Okay, then I like it more than you do. That was- yeah, I think you do. I, I think you must. Um, all right. Uh, next, was there any card you're hoping... It-
1: we don't have to read this one. We're not going to question. this question. <laughs> what, card, what card was I op- hoping to open in the curated draft packs? I have no idea. Oh, you know what? You know what? I do have an answer for it, but it's not a legendary. I, I didn't exhaustively research the question and say, like, this is definitely the... But I, I'm always hoping to um, open Waystone Fragment. Uh, because it's a, it gives all of your units plus one plus one and uh, for four and then it has a spellcraft where you uh, play two one ones and then you gain life equal to the number of units that you have uh, it's, like a, it's like Horn of Plenty but it's one cheaper which makes a big difference and also uh, the life gain is sometimes, uh, is sometimes huge especially on like a stalled board or something where you're getting beaten down by flyers or something uh, you suddenly make your whole board bigger. So, but I'd, I'd say of the rares, that that's the one where I'm like, "Great, what a gift!" More often than any other card, I'm just like, Waystone Fragment, going in the deck." Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah. My recent, my most recent draft, I had the um, the six cost Echo Dragons.
1: Oh yeah, Thunderstrikes,
0: and what a consistently great card to open. It's hard to play because it is triple primal.
1: Yeah. but Also, I said Thunderstrike Dragon for this question last time we did this, so <laughs> I didn't want to say it again. <laughs> yeah, I
0: know. I agree. There's a flaw to this question because it's all old cards, and we usually only have to make this. Yeah.
1: Anyway, whatever. That's all right. I, I had an answer. I came up with it. I, yeah. I survived. Everyone's, everyone's good. All right. So was there any card you felt... Like you underrated it at first, that it ended up being better than you thought. We've already talked about both of these cards, so I don't have to talk about them for very long. But I definitely under underrated Waystone Gate. Um, I just it was just so such a different card than I'd ever had to deal with before. I just didn't know how powerful it was. I thought it was I thought it might be good, but I didn't think it was going to be one of the best cards in the set. Um, so that one impressed me, and also Edge of Prophecy. Uh, which we've also talked about. Uh, it's, a, it's the 3-3 three, three weapon that for seven in creation colors that uh, doubles its size when you summon it. Um, and recurring that obviously makes it really difficult to deal with very quickly. Uh, I didn't think that it would be a slow enough format where you could consistently make a seven power relic weapon and stabilize with it. It turned out it was a slow enough format to do that. <laughs> and therefore Edge of Prophecy was ridiculously good. Uh, Edge of Prophecy is so good that I will warp a draft partway through if there's any chance that I can play it because now I'm playing an Edge of Prophecy deck. I don't know if I don't know if I was playing it before, but now that I have an Edge of Prophecy, that's what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, I will say you had a lot more luck with Edge of Prophecy decks than I did. Most of my successful creation decks ended up being based around Shugo Hook Sword. I only managed to do the thing with edge of prophecy a couple times and I picked it pretty highly and just, it always felt like I, I would either draft an edge of prophecy or draft a lot of weapon recursion and always really had a lot of trouble melding those together.
1: Yeah. There was an alchemy
0: to it. Uh... While Shugo hook sword for me, the fact that it played a chump blocker just, always you know that was like my comfort pick over edge of prophecy i was like when i saw a shugo hook sword i'm like i i would take a hard right and then like try to warp my deck around it and have much more success with that than edge of prophecy but i know i might be in the minority there because you know people like you definitely were able to make edge of prophecy work
1: yeah, I did like Edge of Prophecy more than Shugo's Hooked Sword, but Shugo's Hooked Sword was a close second if I wanted to be drafting that sort of deck. I just wouldn't necessarily like pick up... If I had a Shugo's Hooked Sword, I didn't necessarily need to recur it because, uh, because Hooked Sword doesn't get any particular benefit from using it over and over again other than it being a powerful card by itself,
0: if that mm-hmm. makes sense.
1: Like If you've yeah. got Shugo's Hooked Sword, that's your top end, you're going to kill a couple of things and make some 2-2s, and you probably win the game, and you don't need to do that again. Um, you don't have to. You don't have to sort of draft your entire strategy around it. And so, in a sense, it's more versatile that way. To, oh, and also, I did underrate Shugo's hook sort of the beginning of the format as well. I for the same reason that I didn't think a, a seven power relic weapon was going to be good because I didn't understand that the format was going to be fairly slow. But also, yeah, I. Um, Uh, In a way, Shugo's Hooked Sword is more versatile, but because I enjoyed playing that sort of recursion deck so much, I ended up... uh, And I figured out how to sort of draft it so that it was consistent. Um, It ended up being that I felt like Edge of Prophecy was a stronger card overall. And that's just like maybe, again, down to drafting style, because I will freely admit that Shugo's Hooked Sword is more versatile and easier to summon and kind of stronger on its own. Did you... Underrate any cards on and the ended up being better,
0: yeah. I think the oldie but goodie siege provisions is up there, and we've also talked about the five primal tainted
1: Tainted Mark. mark,
0: yeah. These kind of like slower relics just ended up being a lot better than I expected. And siege provisions being this like interested, expensive activated ability, but the fact that. You could, with it, make a hard-to-deal-with unit impossible to deal with. And it was able to block again was just like... You know, it was like a combination of abilities that ended up making it be like an almost always relevant relic. Yeah. That was
1: kind of interesting, so... Yeah, it was. And it casts, a, it casts a cheap spell when it comes into play, too, so you can, like, activate Wormstones with it and that kind of thing. It had just sort of, like, a lot of little facets to it that that made it interact with practically every card in the set in an interesting way. It just allowed you to do so many
0: things. It allowed you to give endurance to a big, beefy guy and then attack and block, so it helped stabilize. It helped push damage. It was, like, a an unassuming card... That ended up being very, very good in mm-hmm. the end.
1: Was there a card that you overrated? I'm gonna say Dive Bomb. Uh, dive Bomb is a Dive Bomb is a combat trick. It's a fast spell uh, that costs four justice. Uh, it gives two of your units plus one plus four and flying until the end of the turn. Um, and it's still a good card. So this isn't like I didn't dramatically overrate it, um, but I ended up cutting it from a lot of decks. Uh, and that ended up being sort of a surprise to me because I thought it was such a powerful trick that it was just sort of going to take over the format. And instead, it turns out that a four power combat trick, uh, well, solid uh, and certainly, you know, turned some combat steps around, uh, wasn't sort of the format defining the way I thought it might be. Um, maybe because the format wasn't quite as unit focused as I thought it was going to be. Uh, and so I ended up with a lot of decks that didn't have a very high unit count, and Dive Bomb felt a little weak when I wasn't able to use it on two units for value. Then it was like, like if you're giving a unit plus one, plus four, a single unit that's been blocked then it's not really that great <laughs> you know it's sort of like you wanted to take full advantage of it and then i didn't want to have more than one copy most of the time there are decks that love a dive bomb the kind of bomb, the kind of decks that uh, attack early and then want to get in that last damage in the air they want to be able to attack and then have all of your units survive and still kill something like uh if you're that's your strategy then dive bomb works pretty well in it even though it's expensive um it does its job, but I just found that it that it it wasn't that many decks that wanted a dive bomb. Uh, there were there was a it was a much narrower range, so I actually I almost wanted to do a whole show about it. When do you play dive bomb? Which decks actually want dive bomb? because uh, that <laughs> ended up being a question that I was never able to answer for myself, uh, satisfactorily. Uh, but it's still a good card, uh, and sometimes it's an exciting card, uh, I just was like blown away by it when I first saw it, and I thought it was gonna just like shred limited forever, and it didn't end up being that as good as that. And then I wanted to give honorable mention to Agent of Purpose, which was sort of the uh, the um, the Justice Primal Shadow Marquee Uncommon that ended up being completely unplayable <laughs> because it is able to kill units that have curses on them, and hardly any cards put curses on units in this format so it ended up being utterly stranded
0: yeah through five iterations of the format they like never brought curses back yeah they
1: never gave support to it and curses were big in the last format there were plenty of cards they could have drawn on and they just didn't do it
0: yeah
1: yeah that was always a little weird (sighs) so for you were there any cards that you overrated
0: yeah, there were a couple. Um, two that come to mind at first are "Touch of Resilience," mm-hmm. which is the two shadow give one of your units revenge, then give a mm-hmm. unit weapon or spell in your hand revenge. Mm-hmm. I thought this was going to be a pretty good touch because it, like, theoretically, isn't card disadvantage, right? You know, because you're getting that unit back.
1: Yeah, it's theoretically a lot of value, yeah.
0: But, I don't know, it ended up playing way more, you know, I just ended up not playing it as much as I thought because so much of the time you would just prefer a card that had immediate impact as compared to a
1: card that was going to give you impact 10 turns from now. Yeah, you didn't you you didn't know when it was going to help you out. There was also a tension between Touch of Resilience and the fairly strong Void re- Recursion in this set. Like if you mm-hmm. have Touch of, Resil- of Resilience and Triumphant Return in the same deck, then you've got to do those things in the right order, you know? Like you've got to you got to Touch of Resilience something, have it die twice, <laughs> then Triumphant Return it, and now it's got Revenge and it's larger but that is so many hoops to jump through for that result. (laughs) Yes. And if you have the Triumphant Return first, then none of that works. (laughs) So it's easier to just play Triumphant Return and not worry about the Touch of Resilience at all because it's just sort of a win-more strategy.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then the other one is, this was a card that I was talking up a lot the first few weeks of the format, and that was Felrock's Infiltrator.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I, don't, I actually don't know what happened with Velrox Infiltrator.
1: Because
0: even just like looking at it now, I still kind of like it. But I just never really ended up in decks where I played it. Which is surprising to me because it's like one of these cards where when my opponent played it, there were definitely plenty of times where I'm like, well, that's a really annoying card that I don't have a good way to deal with but it just never felt strong enough that I really wanted to prioritize it and put it in my deck so I just never ended up with them in my decks
1: uh yeah yeah that's i mean that's more or less how i felt about it um there was a period there in the middle where uh like rectifier was still in the format uh obviously it was it was the whole time uh but also they also they boosted Peacekeeper's Helm, and so every deck had like five silence effects, <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. you're, then you're then you're then you one one for three not didn't, didn't seem so great, uh, and then more recently, uh, what's the two one that discards a card to get a temper? Um, a hot blood by barbarian. Hot blood barbarian. Now that hot blood barbarian is boosted, a lot of cards that had one health. Are way worse because your opponent can just sort of like ice them for free with their two drop, and yeah. uh, and so stuff like infiltrator and uh, an inferno zealot aren't as good as they were.
0: Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting though is like I feel like I still don't see them that much. So people are picking them. Infiltrator. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I face them often enough. And I'm I'm not uh, usually not dissuaded by them. Either yeah. you throw your either you throw your three drop into them to trade, so that your four drop can attack next, uh, or you just you know silence or ping it or whatever because it's super easy to kill.
0: Yeah, and that's true. I guess you have to remember that it's. I feel like I sometimes forget that they spent three on it when I'm like, ah, well, I don't want to attack my three drop until they're
1: one one deadly. Mm. But. Yeah, that's often the that it is often the best strategy is to just like trade and then go on with your life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all right. Because their their options are either to trade with your three drop or take three to the face um, and then do it again next turn. So you've still got control even though they have a deadly unit down. It's great if it ever gets to activate. You know, if it gets to draw a card, it's hard to come back from that sometimes, but. Uh yeah, it's it's by itself it, it's got some it's got some struggles to overcome. Not that it's unplayable, but yeah, it's a narrow range of decks that it's really good in. All right, And so did you have a favorite
0: type of deck in this format?
1: I guess we've already, I mean, we've already talked about the the relic recursion deck, but I think the deck that most felt most satisfying to me was a tradition control deck where which was basically relic size matters. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's similar to the creation deck in some ways, but it's not really about recursion. It's more about, um, you get your, your relics like, uh, like Tainted Mark and, um, I guess, uh, I mean, Tainted Mark is sort of a good example of, of, uh, you, you'd have some flyers, you'd have a Tainted Mark, you'd have Book Club Yeti, which was a good two drop that turned into a really good removal, spell later you'd have your rage heart paladins you know which ended up being this sort of unstoppable thing if you had a relic of any size uh you still got to play a few good relic weapons usually um it just felt really satisfying because again it was sort of a kind of deck that you didn't really get to play in any other draft format um and it let you play these big like splashy do nothing relics and have and still win games um and I really enjoyed that. And I also, I mean, Book Club Yeti just was one of my favorite cards in the entire format. So I just enjoyed being able to play, uh, you know, a 3-1 th- for 2 that has this weird ability and have it be really effective. Um, so I-, I guess it's sort of my pet deck was, to, was, was Tradition. Tradition just means time, justice, primal, by the way. Yeah. Um, and also that was, uh, I was lured into that deck a lot because the Marquee Uncommon for tradition uh was very good sorcerer's wand was the relic that lets you draw cards and stun units and then make all of your units plus one plus one for a turn for the finishing blow and uh uh it's real good a real and everyone noticed that it was probably real good when they saw it and then it turned out to yes indeed be good (laughs) 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 i was lured into tradition many times by seeing a Sorcerer's Wand pick two or three, you know? Uh, and I was like, if you don't want it, I will take it.
0: Yeah, I think I would have to go with the Fire Time Shadow sacrifice decks. I don't know if I ever really figured them out, but boy, did I draft them a lot, and boy, did I sacrifice a lot of things.
1: <laughs> really? <laughs>
0: And have fun while doing it. I was maybe, maybe Carver, Kindling Carver was not like a a healthy card for me to have (laughs) in this format. (laughs)
1: Because
0: I'm like, do I chump block their 8-8 or do I sacrifice my chump blocker and hopefully draw something good? And I always chose sacrifice.
1: Always. Yeah, Always. what are you, you playing a Kindling Carver for if it's not going to murder something every turn? <laughs> exactly, it's just a waste.
0: <laughs> then you're just playing a 1 1 for 1, and that's just stupid. That is, yeah, that's
1: ridiculous. I but, did kind uh, of wish sometimes that Kindling Carver had a more substantial body, but still the same ability like a 2-2 two, two for 2 or something. So in a pinch, it could actually tangle with a, a and trade with a, an opponent's card. would have felt better about putting it in decks. Um, but it was what it was. Strange Burglar was sort of that card, I guess.
0: Yeah. Oh, no. See, I always felt good about putting Kindling Carver in my deck. <laughs> uh,
1: huh.
0: Huh. I'm like, oh, 14 units? I think this deck needs a Kindling Carver.
1: Yeah. I hate those units and I want to trade them in for other things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then I would, of course, always draw my Shugo Hook Sword and then toss it to the bin. Okay. These are kind of fun questions. So, what card made
1: you groan when your opponent played it against you? Well, uh, speaking of Shugo's Hook Sword, that was the card at the beginning of the format that made me groan. Uh, partly because I had underrated it and it felt a little unfair. For someone to be able to make a Shugo's hooked sword and then attack me and then make a unit, And now I can't deal with it because they got a chump blocker, and it felt it felt bad, felt real bad. Um, and then uh, and then I got used to that, and I played a few Shugo's hooked swords of my own, and I felt like uh, it was okay to deal with it. I started playing more attachment removal and so forth, and it wasn't quite the thing that I uh, oh biting wins. But I guess we're gonna talk about biting, with, uh, biting wins. Biting Winds deals with relic weapons, and so you know that was one of the tools to deal with Shugo's hooked sword. Anywho, by the end of the format, Waystone Gate made me groan. Every time my opponent played a Waystone Gate on 3, I was like, oh, I guess I have already lost this game. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fun. This was a fun game. I'm glad we already know at on turn 3 that it's over. Because um, maybe I had removal for the Waystone Gate, but probably not because they, they de-emphasized removal so hard. In this last version of the format, so yeah, uh, audibly groaned a lot of the time when Waystone Gate came out. If I wasn't on stream, cursed at the screen. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think for me, uh, one of mine's a little s- similar um, is Blade Crafter. We kind of talked about this earlier, but your opponent played yeah. a Blade Crafter on four, and oddly enough especially if they didn't play a weapon next turn you're like dang it
1: yeah yeah you're like well i better win this game before they get to seven powers somehow <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: okay. yeah and it's so funny that when they play a tutor and then it's like oh <laughs> they didn't <laughs> they didn't draw a weapon they can play you know that seems like like a good thing but it was
1: yeah. But no, it's the worst
0: thing. <laughs> <laughs> Never felt good. Uh, and then the other one was just touch of battle. I don't know. That one was just so frustrating. It's just like it was like the combat trick you couldn't really play around. Like Yeah, you, it was you very do all hard. The math, to and then you're like, okay, well I can get around everything, and then <laughs> and then you're like, oh no, their unit is deadly. And something else is deadly.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, that's fair.
0: So that was the other one. And I've actually been playing, I don't know, all my opponents recently seem to have that card. <laughs> I don't know why it suddenly has been on my radar so much <laughs> again, but it has been.
1: Yeah, it comes. it comes and goes in popularity.
0: Yeah. All right, so but sort of the inverse of that, was there a card that an opponent would play that made you think, I absolutely cannot lose
1: to this card? I, I think at the top of that list is Dying Sun Tapestry. Um, Dying Sun Tapestry. In case you haven't played against it, and I wouldn't blame you because it's not a common card to play against, is uh, is a six Justice Primal relic. Uh, I believe it's a like curse. No, is it a curse? It's not a curse. I don't. I'm not actually looking. It's it not a curse relic. No. 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 It's a. It's a relic. Um, It costs six, but it costs zero if you have played a Relic and a Curse um, during your turn already. And uh, its effect is, at the end of your turn, give an exhausted unit you control plus one, plus one, and overwhelm. So that's a small effect, but it does repeat for free. Um, I've had this card played against me a few times, and I'm always like, this is a risky strategy you have chosen, opponent. And I want to be able to punish you for taking that risk. Um, and I, I can't. And this is going to be a real crushing loss for me. Because <laughs> in order to play Dying Sun Tapestry, you essentially need to put Cursed Relics in your deck so that you can play uh, a Cursed Relic and then the Dying Sun Tapestry in the same turn. And then on top of that, you need to have attacked with a unit so it gets the bonus. So you have to have a deck that has units that are good if they get a very small bonus. Relics. A cursed, a cursed relic. Which usually means playing stuff like Static Discharge and stuff that's unplayable by itself. Um, and, uh, and and like in putting all of those things in the same deck and then saying, I'm going to win with this deck. And then coming up against me and doing it. Uh, so <laughs> that's that's the top of my list. I'm like this is bad. This is bad that you've done this and I I sure hope I, I win this game cuz if I lose to a dying sun tapestry, uh everything I know is wrong. And I have and see here's the thing. The deck that I am talking about specifically started by playing Spellstrike Sorceress. Spellstrike Sorceress is 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 is, is a 1/1 one, one for 3. Uh it also has a shift ability, but it gets bigger by plus one, plus one every time you play a spell. They followed that up with the echo card that uh, that that gains you three life when you cast. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a time spell. I'm so mad still. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's the time spell for one that gains you three life, but it has echo, so it cast it twice, so it made the sorceress... So, so my opponent made the sorceress three, three right away, and then it kept getting bigger. And then they played uh, the static discharge, which is unplayable by itself, and a um, and and the Dying Sun tapestry, and then the sorceress was getting bigger after every every attack, and then they played the unseen, the two one with Aegis uh, unseen that gives a battle skill to other Unseens that you play a random one, uh, and then they played a Willbreaker that got unblockable, so now the Willbreaker has a, a, a double damage and unblockable, and there's, a, and there's a Dying Sun tapestry in play, so it's growing by one every time it attacks, which I can't stop because it has unblockable. That's three different strategies that don't have synergy with each other. <laughs> and the tech pulled them all off in one game really quite efficiently. Like, we're talking about a matter of, like, four or five turns here. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, none of this should have worked. All of those strategies are bad, and you put them all in one deck, and somehow drew perfectly. I think it's my least favorite loss of all time.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dying Sun is interesting, because I, I think you're underselling the effect a little bit. Because it's like a... It is powerful. I sure. mean, I'm... Oh, for two against people that have successfully played a Dying Sun tapestry against me. And both times that it was played against me, it felt unbeatable.
1: Yeah, it 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 feels unbeatable. It just feels like the opportunity cost is so high of having to play cards that even let you play the tapestry. You yeah, know? that's the part that's frustrating. Because yeah, it is powerful if you can play it for zero, and then you have this repeated effect every turn. Uh, it's just that you have to compromise like card quality in order to do that. Uh, so. Uh, I, I know that there are decks that where it should work because you're playing like Tainted Mark and you already have a deck that is good with Tainted Mark. You've got some Flyers and something, but and you also are playing Dying Sun Tapestry that makes your Flyers better every turn. All of that makes sense. Uh, but that's not the deck that beat me. The deck that beat me had none of that stuff. It was playing bad cards in order to play Dying Sun Tapestry and three other bad strategies. Uh, it was two when I described it, but now it's three in my mind and I'm not going to elaborate. Now it's four. It was playing all of the bad strategies in one deck, and I didn't even see half of them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for me, uh, this is going back to the last question, but, man, touch a bottle. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Because that card never did anything for me. What a worthless... Stupid, unhelpful card that never bailed me out of any situations and then always killed all of my units. Like I said, I can't say Dying Sun Tapestry because I only lost Dying Sun Tapestry. So it can't be that. So it, it's touch a battle. The other one was Contaminating Ritual, which is another card that we've talked about where it's just like, how is this person trying to make this into a successful strategy? I don't totally yeah. get it, they obviously peop enough people have played it that someone obviously had success with it, but
1: I s- still can't imagine it. I've, I've lost to contaminated ritual on very like high levels of the you know like very high ranks basically yeah uh, and like my feeling about Contaminated Ritual is, if I see an opponent that I respect playing it, I know I'm I'm doomed because <laughs> I know they've got enough recursion, void recursion to bring back uh, whatever unit they gave Flying and Life Steal to, and it's going to be even if I kill it, they're going to bring it back again. Um, and that's in fact what always happens if they do put the Contaminated Ritual. But I still don't see it very often, so I don't think it's a difficult. I don't think it's an easy deck to draft. But I think that it was sort of a lane to get into. Like, recognizing when that card would be good is something that some of the top drafters did. I was never able to make it work. Um, I've had Contaminated Ritual in a couple of decks, but I never had one that could consistently make use of it. So uh, I, I don't, I'm not among the drafters that was able to make it work, but I've seen it work and it felt extremely powerful. So I couldn't name it as like, I absolutely can't lose to that card because I just, I mean, it is, despite my best instincts, it turned out to be pretty good.
0: All right, last couple questions. So, final top commons in each of the
1: five colors. Hit me. Okay, I'm not counting. Uh, I'm not counting rectifier here because we've already talked about it. Okay. Um, and I'm not clear where to rank it after the after the nerfs and the reordering of packs. But other than that, uh, in fire, I think blade crafter. Uh, and we've talked about that on this episode. Uh, in Time, Magnificent Stranger. 2-3 for 2 with a really great ability. Uh, in Injustice, uh, I'm not convinced this is the right choice, but I'm going to say Willbreaker because it has double damage and uh, it sometimes randomly hoses flying decks uh, and it has Corrupted. So it's a, just an overall really versatile 2-drop. In Primal, Biting wins. It's uh, It kills just about anything in the format, including all of the major Relic weapons. It's one of the best answers to Shugo's Hooked Sword um, and Edge of Prophecy, for that matter. Um, so it was a really great. One of the best removal cards. Uh, one of the best reasons to be in Primal, I think. And then in Shadow, Triumphant Return. Uh bringing things back from the Void and making them and making them larger turns out to be a winning strategy, although I did like to play it when I had a lot of good two drops to bring back so I could do it on curve, but uh, it was pretty good in any deck, really. Those are my top five commons. Bladecrafter, Crafter, Magnificent Stranger, Willbreaker, Biting Winds, and Triumphant Return. Uh, not my top five overall, but my top one in each faction in set eight. Um, and then Rectifier is in there in some weird way, because overall it was the best common, um, and I'm just sort of not counting it for this list. How do you feel about it?
0: Yeah, it's kinda of interesting because I think I would have gone with granite acolyte, amber
1: acolyte. So probably- we're counting So we're counting Curia Draft Packs because I was just doing Echoes of Eternity. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I
0: more or less agree with you. I think the only thing I would have uh, probably said differently is I still think I just could I just could never get excited for Willbreaker. so I'd probably be more excited to pick up my first Siege Provisions. And I think this was even true in the end, because by the end of the format, I felt like it was a lot harder to even get a single Siege Provision, so I was always excited to pick one up.
1: That actually wasn't my experience. I felt like if I wanted a Siege Provisions, I could always find one, but that is just variance. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I had a bunch of decks where I'm like, I wish this had a
1: siege provisions,
0: and then it just never happened. So,
1: I wish I could have given you some of my siege provisions. I ended up <laughs> with like two or three copies a lot of the time, and I didn't want to play them all. Yeah.
0: And final question. So did this draft format teach you something that helped you improve your limited game, and what was your
1: takeaway from this format? Well, I think this is the first format that you I could legitimately play a lo- a slow control game in fairly consistently. It was a slow enough format that I had to think about what my end game was and be reasonably sure that I could that I would be able to to uh, get that end game into play consistently. So the kind of decks that we've been talking about, um, the Relic Weapon Recursion deck, and the you know the relic size matter tradition deck and the the uh the sort of dirtly sacrifice all of my stuff or value destruction deck um those were all those all felt really different because uh they they were decks that could accumulate a huge amount of value over time because there wasn't the threat of being run over at least for the first half of the format and uh it made me rethink the way I approached a lot of cards. Like all of these cards that we've been talking about that I underrated are good, partly because uh, you you had time in this format to like realize their their true value. Um, so I got to experiment with things like having a lot of cards that replicated power. You know, in my deck, like uh, um, cards that ramp and cards that. Like seek power that go get a power and stuff. So I would have decks that played the minimum number of actual sigils. So I would have fifteen and a very powerful, power hungry deck, and it would still play like a dream because I had so many cards that would um, uh, that would supply me with power uh, that I, that I had. Uh, like my deck felt like it was full of things to do. And it wasn't mm-hmm. as de- it wasn't as dependent on drawing the right ratio of power to to gas, you know. So, uh, so I guess my takeaway is um, is kind of big because I learned how to draft control in a way that I never had a chance to do, and I'm hoping that I'll be able to take that into uh, further draft formats so that I sort of see the control strategies and and uh, feel more confident drafting them. Uh, I was ta- I mentioned briefly the alchemy of drafting a creation deck. Uh, turn back time. There's a really interesting card in that deck because, uh, like, it's a three. It costs three in time. It brings any any card back from your void, gives it void bound. And for that deck, part of its use was to bring back cards like Shugo's hooked sword, or or edge of prophecy, uh, to to get that like um, that huge um, game winning card. And use it twice but the other part of it is that you had this early game like fury blade uh you know your your sort of strong two drops like mag stranger and stuff and turn back time gave you the versatility to uh replay your strong early game if you needed the time to get to your late game or if you had already gotten to your late game it let you use your powerful cards at the end again So, which is why Turnback Time ended up being a good card as well, is uh, if it was only an expensive way to bring, uh, to reuse your early game cards, then maybe it's not so great. And if its only function was to bring back your really expensive cards, then you would get run over near the beginning a lot of the time. Um, But because it did both... You got kind of the best of both worlds you had this incredibly versatile like card that uh, gave you this library of options all the time uh that was one of the steps on learning how to draft the creation deck properly was realizing the potential of turn back time um and i can't recall a similar process with any of the with any other format where i learned how to build a deck like that um, and have it function as a whole deck with all of these different moving parts uh, to get uh, the together in one purpose, it always felt a little bit more, at least in Eternal. Like in Magic, there's been a lot of decks like that, but in Eternal, I was it was always kind of felt like here's my main synergy, renown or mastery or whatever, and then everything kind of works towards that goal. Um, but the Creation deck was in 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 set eight was uh, felt like a deck, you know, like you were building a real sort of. Uh, versatile strategy and i i really i really like that and i hope that that's something that i continue to do going Mm -hmm. forward and that i have the opportunity to do and like the 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 structure of the draft format will continue to reward me for because that was the i think my favorite thing
0: so did did you change your opinion because about turn back time because i know early in the format you said you never really wanted more than one in a
1: deck, did I? I still only want one, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, after everything that I just said, I still only want I, I still only want one turn back time, but it. I don't want less than one, one turn back time. Yeah. I, it's it's like a linchpin of the whole thing in a way, but uh, you only need one linchpin, and mm-hmm. you can quote me on that. I'm not sure what a linchpin is. <laughs> I don't know what it physically is. I just, just know what it metaphorically. But yeah, no, I haven't changed my opinion about it, but I like it better than I did before. Um, yeah. I, like, I like turn back time a lot. But if you have two of them and you have two in your hand, you're like, uh-oh, none of the cards in my hand do anything. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the one. I agree with that.
0: All right. I think for me, it's a little bit similar. Um, This was the first format where I really explored with playing more than 18 power or 18 power plus some power grabbing cards. And a lot of that was thanks to you and Collector and our, um, you know, our power base episode and just like, sort of making me reevaluate and think about how to build sort of bigger power bases um, instead of just relying on the eternal mulligan system to to get me there right right and so that was kind of that's one of the things i liked about this format was that it really you know you especially in the end now that we're able to make more aggressive decks you know we can have these you know, we got to play a much bigger range of power numbers. You know, you could play a yeah. 16 power, 17 power aggressive deck, or you could play 18, 19 power big, you know, creation deck. And all of those were viable and fun. And so uh, that's the the thing that I got out of this um, this format the most was you know, I'd learned sort of in previous formats the power of playing less than 18 power, and this format kind of helped me see the the power of
1: playing more than 18 power. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, it, I think that was really... I think that was an interesting thing about it. Um, if you counted all of, like, the Seek powers and uh, Amber Acolytes and things that I stuffed into some of my decks, I probably had, like, I probably had like 22 power effectively in Mm -hmm. some of them, and you like, none of it went to waste because I was playing all these strong end game cards. Um, and yeah, that's a very different type of deck than, than the sort of mid, the sort of average mid range tempo deck that you often sort of end up in, in a, in a, in other limited formats. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I don't know. I
0: think, in conclusion, this was a, a very interesting format. I think, you know, probably any, any format will wear its welcome after four months. And so, everyone's feeling the effects of that. But I think, in the end, this was a, a positive format. And I think, a, a you know, a very fun format to play. And
1: I, I think Direwolf did a great job yeah I agree. I agree. Despite some of the missteps, I think overall they did a lot of interesting things that paid off. so uh, so I'm, I'm overall happy. Cool. And so we're looking forward
0: to the new format. So hopefully next by next week well by next week we'll definitely have at least a few cards to talk to because talk about because they will have released a bunch of cards into the you know into the draft preview event. So we'll be talking about that. And then we'll be rolling right into the brand new format. So stay tuned um, and enjoy the show. So until next week, thank you to all our patrons for helping make this show a success. A reminder to give every to give us a five-star rating review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You can join us in our Discord. We have a link below as well as give a thumbs up and a comment on all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts dealing with about the show. And don't forget to send in all your 7 win deck lists you do this week to farmeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Good night.